We are still in Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28. And you may remember that we talked a little bit a couple of weeks ago, if you were, if you were here, uh, actually three weeks ago, that, jo- that, that Jacob has this dream. And this is really akin to like a, 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 a salvation story where God now appears to him Formerly, it was it was an appearance uh, to Abraham, and then to Isaac, and now to Jacob. This appearance, and and uh, so let's pick it up again in verse twelve of Genesis chapter twenty-eight. He had a dream, and behold, a ladder was set on the earth, with its top reaching to the heavens, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said. I am the I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord God is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured on it oil on its top and he called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take, I will give him and keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my father's house in safety. Then the Lord will be my God. The stone which I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So he had a real powerful experience. I went back and I, and I tracked over, over the, uh, the, the life of Abraham and just, counting how many times God appeared to Abraham. And many of the times that God appeared to Abraham, he would set up an altar. He would, he would set up an altar and worship God. And at first, God would come to him and speak to him. And then all these dialogues started between Abraham and God. And God would speak to him and, and, and Abraham would, would speak back to him and they would have these dialogues. His son Isaac God appeared to Isaac, and after that appearance, Isaac never built an altar, never had a time of worshiping the Lord. It was later on in his life that Isaac first built an altar, but you never see any real dialogues between he and God. He never speaks speaking back in a dialogue to God. Isaac had, had much less of a relationship with God than did Abraham. There was very little relationship between Isaac and, his, and, and, and God. There was a lot between Abraham and God. And, and you say, well, how can that happen? Didn't Abraham teach his son? You know, I, I'll tell you, I, I have four children, 
And I tried my very best, I really did, to try to expose them to the Word of God, expose them to service, expose them to ministry, and different ones pick that up at different amounts. And uh, you see that, that each one of them is, is, is sort of autonomous. I mean, they're, they're, they're autocatalytic. They, they kind of they run on their own. And, and you never know what the future has for them. You pray for them. But I'm sure he, that there was a relationship between Abraham and Isaac because we see that when they were going up to the mountain together. He was saying, my son, and, 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 and uh, Isaac would say to him, my father. And they would have these dialogues. But still, Abraham's, the depth of his relationship with God was much richer than Isaac had. And now Jacob, all of a sudden, is really touched by God in this experience. And he immediately builds an altar. The first thing he says is, is he says in verse 16, he says, Jacob awoke, meaning that he was asleep when this happened. And you can see that even up in verse 13, he says, the land on which you lie, I will give it to you. So in other words, he was lying down. He was asleep. And then he woke up and he says, he said in verse 16, he says, surely God is in this place and I didn't know it. And he was afraid. This fear of God came on him. There was this experience that he had with God that he had not known before. And he sets up immediately, he sets up this altar and he pours oil on it. And he called on the name of the Lord. And this was an important thing in Jacob's life, but it was also an important thing with God. Because God makes reference to that occurrence. Now, now uh, uh, 20 years later, when, when Jacob is going to be coming back through the land, in, ver- in chapter 31 of Genesis, uh, God makes reference to this. In verse 13 of, of chapter 31 of Genesis, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise, leave this land, and return to the land of your birth. In other words, God remembers that and makes reference to it. That meant a lot to God. So where is Bethel? Um, Bethel is, so this is Jerusalem. Bethel is right there. So just about five miles north of Jerusalem, about five miles north of Jerusalem is Bethel. And that's where this took place, just about five miles north of Jerusalem. You could go to Bethel today. And, and see that, but that's that's what took place. And then he prayed, and he named the place Bethel, meaning the house of God. He says, because I've experienced something amazing here. And then it, it says, then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me, you know this whole thing of if God will be with me. This if can be translated as since. It can mean since. So, for example, in in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If God is for us, who is against us? Does that mean like, if God is for us, I wonder if God is for us. Mm. I wonder. No, that if is very much like, since God is for us, who could be against us? And it's it's in the same context here. So when he says, if God will be with me, this can very much be looked at. This was a, a way of expressing it. Just like we say, if God is for us, who is against us? It's, it's probably better to look at that in the sense that not if he is, because he is, since he is. Since, so in verse 20 of Genesis chapter 28, if God will be with me, or since God is with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. Did you know that that's all that God absolutely promises the believer? That's all he promises, is that I will give you food to eat and clothing to wear. 
So if you have a house, if you have an apartment, if you have a car, all of those are extra blessings that God has given you. That's nothing that He's promised you in the Word of God. In the Word of God, it says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, Jesus says that the foxes have holes, the birds of the, airs, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. Jesus did not have a home. And then in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8, it says, If you have food and clothing, will that, with that you shall be content. God only promises us food and clothing. You're a believer in Christ. The only promise of assurance of material things that we have in the Word of God, the only promise is for food and clothing. Everything else that we have is an extra blessing. So learn to give thanks. Learn to give thanks. And, uh, and then he says, he says uh, uh, in verse 21, And I returned to my father's house, because God had just said above in the promise that I'm going to take you on this journey, and I'm going to bring you back here. And he says, since I'm going to return to my father's house, then the Lord, he's my God. And then he set up this stone, and he poured oil on it, and he, and he had this time with the Lord. There is this, this, this whole idea of having time with the Lord, of a person giving themselves to the Lord. So how does one do this? So I want to talk about the practical ways of having time with the Lord. Well, how often should we have a time with the Lord? It says actually in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, you know, Jesus is, our, is the one that we're supposed to try to be like. We're supposed to follow Christ. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, In the early morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Jesus would rise up while it was still dark and go to a secluded place and pray there. Why did he have to go to a secluded place? Why couldn't he just stay in the house where he was in? Well, in verse, in, 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 uh, uh, in, in that same chapter, Verse uh, 36 of Mark chapter 1 says, Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. Well, duh, now we see why he left the house. Because he wanted time alone with God. Well, was he avoiding people who wanted to see him? Doesn't he have to take care of them? No, God comes first. God came first in his life. Early in the morning, he would, that's Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 37. Early in the morning, Jesus would spend time with his father. And I learned that when I had children, when I had children, I had to start waking up earlier because I had to get up before them. Because once they're up, you know, it's, it's like hard to get anything done once the kids get awake because, you know, they want something to eat, they gotta to go to the bathroom, they, there's so many things that, that, that you gotta do. And, and, and for those of you who aren't parents, trust me, you will understand what I'm talking about. Once the kids are awake, there's, there's, it's really hard to spend time with the Lord. And, and, uh, uh, you can try. You can try, but it's hard. And, uh, um, but, but Jesus, He went away to a secluded place. He would do this. And you say, well, well, how often did He do this? Did he do this really every day? Well, let's find out. Turn to Isaiah chapter 50. There are things written in the Old Testament that tell us about Jesus that are not revealed in the New Testament. And here we find out how often Jesus would spend time with his, spending time in prayer with his Father. How often did he do this? We know he did this in the morning from the passage in Mark, but how often did he do this? Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 says, 
The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient nor, nor did I turn back. He awakens me morning by morning. Every morning God awoke. God would wake him up and he would spend time with the Lord. If God can wake you up, that is terrific. I just have a little more assurance. I set an alarm and uh, uh, just to make sure that I'm going to get this time with the Lord. You dedicate time to the Lord. Now, I've been, I've been, I, I got saved uh, 42 years ago. All right, so 42 years ago I got saved and, and um, I have seen many believers in my life. I've seen many believers. Those that spend Daily, daily. You know what daily means? It means every day, time with the Lord, reading the scriptures, meditating upon them, and in prayer, have a characteristically different life than those who do not. They are both believers. They are both going to heaven. But in one, there is great power and great effectiveness. And in the other, there is little substantive difference that you can see between them and a person of the world. Other than their confession in Christ, there's little substantive difference. When you spend daily time with the Lord, great things happen. Jesus spent daily time with the Lord. He says, the Lord has given, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. How did Jesus have this richness to be able to give out to so many people? Jesus had no formal education, no religious education, but here we see where he got it. I would rather know a few verses from the Bible than all the great sayings of the philosophers. I'll tell you, I would rather. Because one is the word of God. The other is the word of human beings. I trust much more the word of God for its accuracy, for its imp- impact upon life. He says, my, my, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples. It is through that that you get this ability to give counsel to people. And people come to me and I just... You know, I keep trying to bring them back to the Word of God. And I'll just speak Scripture, as much Scripture as I can remember. You go to my wife for prayer. She just starts praying over you Scripture. I mean, she's amazing at that. Just all of a sudden, all these Scripture verses come to her when you ask her to pray. And she starts praying Scripture over you because that's the best thing you can do. That I may know how to sustain the weary one with the Word. This is how Jesus sustained others. This is how you will have what you need to give to your family, to give to your children, to give encouragement to them. It's not just your own wisdom now. It comes from the Word of God. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. When you have the Word of God, when you have the Scriptures, all alone in the morning, Word of God, you say, Lord God, speak to me. Through this portion that I am in, speak to me, Lord. I would encourage you to learn to take a book of the Bible and read it all the way on through. Not to just to randomly turn here and there. Take a book of the Bible and say, Lord, speak to me through this. I actually take the Bible as a book and start in Genesis chapter 1, read through to Revelation chapter 22. When I'm done, I start again. And I say, Lord, in the portion that I'm in today, speak to me. And this is what meditation is. It is saying, Lord, speak to me. You read slowly. You read pensively. You say, Lord, speak to me. And then all of a sudden, your eyes just get stuck on a verse. 
When that happens, when your eyes keep going back to a verse, say, Lord, what are you saying to me through this verse? What is it? And then all of a sudden, there's this rush of insight and wisdom that starts coming in. When I prepare for class, yeah, I'll read a commentary to understand what's going on in the sense of the times. But that's not where I get it. I say, Lord, what is the message? What is the message for the body of Christ on Sunday? What is it you want me to say? What is that message that needs to be brought forth? That's what comes from God. And then God begins to bring life. Lord, what's the message from this portion? So as I meditate, I will meditate on this portion, the portion that I'm going to be teaching out of, all week preparing for Sunday. People say, how how much do you prepare? Like every day that week, I'm preparing for the message on Sunday, about an hour a day over the whole week. The hard thing is, what's the message? What's the message here? This guy was so impacted Uh, Jacob was with God and he had this fellowship with God. This is where his fellowship with God started. Trust me, if you don't have a daily time with the Lord, there will be very little difference between you and what you accomplish for the kingdom of God and what an unbeliever accomplishes. Very little difference. If you spend daily time with the Lord, you will accomplish great things for God. This is how it worked with Jesus. He has opened my ear. He says in in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. How did he have the strength to go through what he went through? He had fellowship with his Father. How do you have strength to get through what you need to get through in life? Fellowship with the Father. Fellowship with God. It is all around. And and we we have something greater because we now have something that Jacob didn't have. We have Jesus who's risen from the dead. Jesus who's given his life for us. It is Jesus that has fellowship with us. Paul said when he was in prison, the Lord Jesus, the Lord came and stood at my side and said, and then the Lord said, you've solemnly witnessed to me in Jerusalem. You now must witness in Rome also. That's what gave Paul strength. Paul, during that shipwreck that was going on, he knew he could not die because Jesus had already said, you're going to witness me in Rome also. If he was going to die at sea, he'd be resurrected because he had to witness in Rome because Jesus said that was going to happen. It's all around Jesus. We see Jesus all through the scriptures for us. This is what's what's ministered to us and it comes to us in the word of God, this power that it comes to us. What, What we see here is he started taking hold of these promises. We talked about this three weeks ago in the class that he took hold of these promises that were coming to him. But it's an intentional thing. We take hold of these promises that are here that are coming to us. So I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to get very specific. This is how you do it. We're getting very specific. This is how you do it. Alright? This is how you do it. You take the Word of God and you make it a part of your life. You take the Word of God, you make it a part of your life. You know, you could... You could... Uh, you could work in a soap factory and still be dirty if you never apply that soap to your own body. You know what I mean? It's not just being near soap that makes you clean. you got to apply that soap to your life. It is just like the Word of God. It is not just having a Bible that makes you powerful in the Lord. It is applying the Bible to our lives that makes us powerful in the Lord. Do you want to be powerful? In the Lord. Or do you want to have no substantive difference between you 
and a person of the world. This is the decision before us. How do we apply the Word of God? All right, look in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. All right, so look at what he says in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. So many times you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, how am I going to get through all this? I got this exam, I got this. Nobody, nobody on earth has had as much to do as I have to do. Have you ever had that feeling? I certainly did. When I was in college, I remember thinking, nobody has as many exams as I have. All my professors, I think they get together and they have all of their exams on the same week. They, it, it couldn't be so well orchestrated without collusion between them. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. So not just prayer. It's not just, Lord Jesus, bless my work today. Thank you. Amen. No, it's prayer and supplication where we're crying out to God. This is the application of the Word of God to our lives. It is prayer and supplication. We are crying out to God, Lord Jesus, look at what is before me. I can't handle this, Lord. I just can't handle it. Lord, how I need your grace. Lord, help me today, I pray. Help me. And God, boom, He helps you. He says, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And then you transition it into thanksgiving. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you're going to do through me and with me today. Thank you for the blessing that you're going to give me today. You start thanking Him for something that He's going to do. That's exactly what He tells us. The Word of God is very specific. I urge you to look at it with this level of specificity. Everything by prayer and supplication. That is a crying out to God. With thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Let your request be made known to God. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is a promise. Remember, when, when the Bible says this will happen, it has to happen. The Bible says the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you do this, boom, the peace of God comes. If you do this, the peace of God comes. I remember when, when I was applying for, for faculty positions and, uh, um, and, and I was at Stanford, I was a postdoc at Stanford, and lots of other people around me were applying for faculty positions, and we were all vying for the same positions. And we knew that because, you know, one person would get the trip there, and the next person would get the trip to the university. And, and, uh, um, and I was saying, Lord, these, these guys are so amazing, these people that I was up against. It was, it was as if they had started studying chemistry in kindergarten. They knew so much. I felt they knew so much more than me. And I felt, Lord, how am I ever going to get a job when I'm competing with people like this? And I would just commit it to the Lord. And even I would break in the middle of the day. Even as I do to this day, I would break in the middle of the day and, and spend some time in prayer. And I would go to the... To the um, there was, a, there was a, a little graveyard right by uh, uh, Stanford University there where the... the the Stanford family is buried. Because I tried going to the chapel, but it was it's such a beautiful chapel, it already always has visitors, so you can't pray there. So I had to go into this this little, uh, uh, there's a cactus farm and, and, and graveyard, and I would go there at noon times and pray. 
And, uh, and I said, Lord, these people are so amazing in all that they know. Lord, open up for me a position. And I would get the offers before they did. And I know that because I'd, they'd call me, then they, they'd give me the offer. If I turned them down, then the phone would ring again in the same lab, and they'd give it to the next person. And, and uh, uh, God just does this. He opens it. He says, And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Sometimes I wake up in the morning with all these things to do, and I'm thinking, my mind is just going a million directions. And I have to just take it and focus it in on the Word of God and prayer. And then what happens is, when I'm done, I get out of that time like a roaring lion. I can handle anything. It's exactly what the Word of God says. The peace of God will come, which surpasses all comprehension and will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What I'm telling you today can save you a lot on counseling if you would get this Word of God and get it into your life. Now, I'm not against counseling. I hope you go to a Christian counselor who would understand some of this and could underscore what I'm telling you. Finally, brethren, verse 8, Philippians 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. You don't know what I have going on in my life. I've got, you, you don't know what I'm up against. There's this lawsuit against me. He tells us exactly what to do. He says, don't let your mind dwell there. You dwell on things that are good and right and honorable and holy. Take a verse and start memorizing that verse and meditate on that verse. You take the things that are good and right and you meditate on those things. Lord, my mind just gets, gets zings right out to pornography all the time. You bring your mind back and dwell on things that are good and right and holy and honorable. This is what he does. He tells us specifically. How much more specific could he be with us? He says, don't dwell on those things. Don't let your mind... If you dwell on your problems all day, it'll suck you down. You just go down this vortex, right down the drain. He says, you take your mind and you dwell specifically on the things that are good and right and holy and honorable. Dwell on these things, he says. You dwell on these things. That means you just think about these things over and over again. You dwell on these things. And then verse 9, he says this, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. If you practice these things that I just covered right here, he says the God of peace will be with you. You want peace in your life? Do you want peace in your life? Everybody wants peace. I don't know anybody who says, I just want to wake up in the morning and just have a terrible day. I hope I have no peace. I hope everything is a disaster today. Nobody does that. Everybody wants peace in their lives. You want peace? The Bible is very clear. It tells us how to get it. The very things that I told you in verses 6, 7, and 8, you practice these things. Practice doesn't mean you do them once. Practice means you do it over and over and over again. You practice this over and over and over again. Once you practice these things, I'll tell you, it becomes second nature. You, you look at what, what people do on a football field or a baseball field 
or whatever, or, in a, or a sport, because they practice this over and over and over again. And you look at that and you go, boy, that's amazing. How did he catch that ball in one hand? How did he do? Practice, practice. And it becomes second nature. You should do this every day. And it becomes a part of your life. You practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So that when something starts encroaching and something starts trying to rob your peace, you immediately think, no, I'm going to dwell on the things that are good. I'm going to dwell on the things that are right. I'm going to take these things that make my life anxious. And I'm going to, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving for what God is going to do, thanking Him for what He's going to do, and I'm going to apply this to my life and watch what happens. What Jacob learned is he saw God was real and he feared Him. And he set up an altar. He set up a time in his life to set God apart. And then the pattern we have from the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the one whom we worship, the one whom we honor, the one whom we praise, the one who is there every morning with you. Every morning. If you make a commitment to spend every morning to rise up and spend time with Jesus, He will always be there. If you don't show up, He's there. He'll never break His commitment. God is there. It's not like, you know, I've come to this time, Lord, and and you're just not here. No, that can't happen. He will always be there. It is Him who takes care of this. This will get you power in your life. It really will. This will get you victory in your life. This is for you. This is specifically what we have to do. This practice in Philippians 4, 6-9, through you do these things. And His promise is the God of peace. The God of peace will be with you. You want peace in your life? It is this. You practice these things. The God of peace will be with you. This is the promise that we have. When He says the God of peace will be with you, it has to happen. It can't not happen. Because... It says that it will happen. And this is how you will get peace in your life. You practice these things, the God of peace will be with you. Unless you apply that bar of soap to your life, to your body, it will never get clean. You could be working in in a soap factory. Unless you take what I've just said and apply it to your life, things will fall apart. And you go without washing your body for a few days... It starts to stink. And other people usually notice that before you do. It's the same with the Word of God. When you find yourself out of the Word of God, other people will start noticing your hot temper, your anger, your careless words long before you do. You practice these things, the things that I've taught you, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Abba, Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the truth of Your Word. And I pray, O Lord, for these young people that they would take hold of the truth of the Word of God and that they would practice these very things and they would follow the pattern of Jesus that morning by morning they would spend time with You. Lord, please do this in their lives. 
so that there may be great power in their lives. Father, do this in their lives, I pray. And Father, for those here who do not know You, I pray, Lord, that this very day they would pray this prayer. Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, I believe that You are Lord and You have risen from the dead. Lord, I pray that this very day they would pray that prayer and get saved. Father, take these young people and ground them in the Word of God that they would learn to offer up with prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, their prayers to God. That they would train their minds to dwell on that which is good and right and holy and honorable. If there be anything worthy of praise, that they would let their minds dwell on these things so that they may have the peace of God in their lives. Lord, I commit them to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.